there, baby gems. Welcome back to another episode of The Spiritual Gaze. I'm one of your hosts, Brandon. And I am that other host, Angel. That other host. Mm -hmm. And this is your twice-monthly podcast, our twice-monthly podcast, everybody's (laughs) twice-monthly podcast dedicated to exploring the wide reaches of spirituality without pretending that it all makes sense. You get a podcast and you get a podcast. You get a podcast. Everybody gets a podcast. Yes, and none of them make sense. That's true. Ain't that the truth? I've been listening to a lot of podcasts recently, and none of them make sense. Oh, here we go. The shade stress. Also, I just realized that a lot of podcasts take themselves very seriously, and I want to try to not do that. Yeah. Oh, so we're starting now? Yeah. We're going to do that? Now. <laughs> starting now. <laughs> Sorry about it. Sorry we've been a little serious, serious, serious guys. Yeah. You like know. It's been serious times. Girl, but I know what you quit. mean. That ain't going to quit. But yeah, I just am like... When I listen to a podcast, I want to listen to somebody who's just trying to have a nice time. Right. As opposed to a podcast where somebody's like trying to assert how smart they are. Oh. Been listening to a lot of podcasts like that recently. Yeah, which ones? I'm not going to I'm not going <laughs> to spread you. evil on the airwaves. I'm just acknowledging what I've been experiencing recently. All right, well, my cut. Give me the list. As if you don't already know, as if I didn't even already tell you. No, I know. Should we introduce ourselves besides shady podcasters? I know. Hi, we're the shadiest podcasters of them all out there. What a way to welcome you all into our oh lives God, if this is your first time. If this is, is your a, first time listening. Is there a podcast that just trashes other podcasts? I don't know, but we don't want to be those people. No, I'm just curious. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I do. Maybe I'm ready to just like embrace my Maleficent era. Oh, wow. Well, you do love a Maleficent-esque character. I think all queer people love a Maleficent-esque villain because we've all felt maligned. And so we love to see somebody who's maligned pick up their power and like turn it back on the people that (laughs) tried to make them feel small. Just me? Is it just me? I know I'm not alone. (laughs) They've got some vengeance. Girl, so true. Do you relate to Maleficent when they turn into a dragon? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Wow. But I also relate to Maleficent when she looks Gorgeous, storming in <laughs> to disrupt a baby shower. Well, sometimes a baby shower needs to be disrupted. 100%. Most of the times it does. Yeah. Who are you? Oh, yeah. Who am I? Who? Uh, besides a Maleficent devotee. Yeah. I am Brandon Alter. I am, believe it or not, a spiritual healer, <laughs> a tarot reader, an astrologer, a teacher of these skills. I'm also a writer and a performer. Yes, a Zen, a Zen master. Yeah, a Zen master over here. A truly ascended master. <laughs> Just sitting on my cloud. A bodhisattva, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could have transcended, but I decided to stay here. <laughs> Just to, too much fun. Just to help you all out. Who are you, my love? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm Angel Lopez. I am a writer and a producer of things. I am also a an, ast- an astrologer. A producer of things? Yes, a producer of things. Like this marriage? Producer of this marriage, of this existence. Would you produce lunch for us later? Mm, maybe. Okay, cool. Um, if I'm not in the process of producing something else. Well, shit. And uh, an astrologer. Yes. And a uh, teacher of mystical... Modalities. Practices, yes. Modalities, because I am a mystic. I just love an alliteration. 
mystic modalities. Yeah, I just always love that. For sure. And together we are the, the spiritual gaze. Yeah, we already did that part. So we have a pretty phenomenal spirit talk for y'all. Oh my goodness. And we don't want to have to edit it down too much because <laughs> everything that happened within that conversation was pretty much fire. Yeah. So we're going to try to keep this opening bit brief. And my attempt to do that was that I'm going to be checking in via haiku. Ooh. So here's my check-in haiku. And I just want to say thanks to everybody that heard my check-in last episode and reached out to say, feel you, support you, love you. I got your messages and your voicemails. Lori Lou, I'm I'm sorry I never responded to you. Wow. <laughs> but you said apologies. I didn't have to, Public which apologies. I really appreciate. People who are like, I know you're going through a rough time and you probably don't have to respond, so just know I'm thinking of you. And I really appreciate that. It's so Thank ascended you. master of you. Of me? Yeah. To not respond to the voicemails. <laughs> totally. Okay, so here's my check-in haiku. I'm surrendering to all my fear and my doubt. Then I take long naps. That's it. That's the whole haiku. I'm surrendering to all my fear and my doubt. And then I take long naps. That's beautiful. That's pretty much how it goes. I love that. Then I wake up, rinse, repeat. <laughs> rinse, repeat. What was the great quote that came up uh, in our spirit powers class last night about surrender? Do you remember it? There's power in the surrender. Yeah. And there is. Mm-hmm. So I'm exploring that sort of power. I think that's great. That's so valuable and important for everyone. It's deeply unpleasant, but it's where I'm at. Ta-da! What about you? What's going on with you? Oh, well, I don't have a haiku. No, you don't. It just felt too stressful for you me. You refused the invitation. It was stressful. You RSVP'd no I have a lot to the of haiku things. party. I have a lot of things on my plate right now, and haiku <laughs> just didn't feel like a thing I wanted to add to it. So It's fair. It's fair. Come as you are. But I will be brief. Um, and honestly, just take a cue because I think surrender is such a thing for me right now too and just kind of surrendering to the present moment. I remember having like a really beautiful conversation with um, our dear friend, uh, Philip J. Bartel. And we were just talking about um, just living in the world today and how it really is kind of just like one day at a time, right? It's like you really have to like just be really present to what wants to show up. And I think that's been my whole thing of just like really, really, really trying to dial into like surrender to the presence of, um, of what is showing up for me. And that through doing so, I will really have a clearer idea of how I should be moving forward and what I want to be moving toward. So yeah, I totally relate to that surrender experiment wow you have really deep talks with philip yeah well we did recently all she and i ever do is like make each other giggle and throw shade uh well we do that too good for you yeah philip if you're listening i want a deep talk soon putting in my request well there you go that's where we're at kids that's where we're at one day at a time full of surrender full of surrender and Making it fun where you can. That's yeah. what I'm trying to do is like whatever I have to do, just trying to make it fun. For sure. And I think a lot of these practices that we get into and practices around like 
wellness and spirituality can become very serious mm-hmm. and it, and it's understandable because they do trigger a lot of deeper emotional and mental um, aspects yeah well and they require some respect if you're going to approach them of in course. a way that actually allows them to bring value to your life mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that you have to leave fun outside yeah it's so important to like be joyful and have fun so um and we're always looking to explore everything that we're uh that we teach and and that we facilitate uh with a sense of fun with a sense of humor so good time to just point out that we do have a seven week astrology class coming oh my god yes astrology for seekers astrology for seekers and it starts on October 26th. And it is seven weeks of just pure astrology magic. So you can find out all of the details, uh, a class syllabus on our website, thespiritualgaze.com, under our spirit school tab. And it'll give you some more details on what exactly we'll be exploring. Yeah, we've got like a whole syllabus that breaks down what we're going to be doing week by week. But essentially, we're going to be giving you all access to a lot of different astrological techniques to help you understand astrology and use it um, more deeply. So if you have just like a basic general understanding of your birth chart or of the planets or the signs, then you're totally ready to jump into this class. And we're going to be covering things like solar returns or secondary progressions, time lords, moon phase families. We're going to talk a lot about, you know, cosmic hotspots, like the galactic center. Because if you know me, you know I fucking live for the galactic center. But also like the via combusta and world points and the lots of fortune and spirit. event, if any of that got you a little excited, check out the syllabus and see that, you know, we're going to be covering all that sort of fun astrology stuff in a way that is both respectful and also (laughs) foolish. Ridiculous. Well, speaking of astrology, should we give the gazers a little cosmic update? So we are in Libra season. Welcome to Libra season, bitches. Yes. Take a seat. Bring a friend. Oh, yeah, I mean, you're going to have to bring somebody. Oh, well, you bring a partner. You could bring yourself, your future self, your past self, your inner child, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. your fear, your doubt. But it's time to partner with somebody or something. You don't have to go it alone is the theme of Libra season. It's about partnership. It's about connection. It's about equal exchange. Totally. So if you have been putting a bunch of energy out into the world, you want to make sure you're receiving it as well. And if you've been hiding in the deep internal chambers of your own self, it's time to peek outside. Yeah, it's really like just like a check into that like pendulum placement, you know? Pendulum placement. Yeah, where is it? Another great alliteration. (laughs) I knew you'd like it. I'm just going to be spotting the alliterations here today. (laughs) But you know what I mean? It's like, has it been like swinging too hard in one direction? You know, where do we need to course correct a little bit to really kind of bring ourselves into some greater alignment? Yeah. Well, and that 
is really what the equinox is all about, right? Because when the sun moves into Libra, it gives us the equinox. It's the fall equinox if you're in the northern hemisphere, and it's the spring equinox if you're down there in the south. You Equinox translates to equal night. It's equal night and equal day. And so it's this moment where we're shifting. And, you know, the first six signs of the zodiac, they are the personal signs, and they encourage us to do deep personal reflection, exploration, and expression. And by the time we move to the second half of the zodiac, it's about how we take all of that energy and we start to put it out into the world. And Libra is the first sign that takes what we've learned in Virgo season about devoting yourself to yourself, about how you can be of service to your soul, and then figuring out, okay, and now how do I take this out into the world, even if it's just with one other person? Yeah. And with Virgo, you already become in service, right, to others. But the idea and intention is to create that inner alignment within yourself, right, to have that body, mind, soul connection uh, in Virgo. Uh, and then with Libra, it's like, okay, well, we've been in service, but now how are we really like bringing this like directly to others? And are we able to bring our whole aligned self into that proceeding? Exactly bringing another whole being into the equation and seeing how that wants to shift you and change you and, and deepen you. Yeah. So it's a time for relationship. It's a time for beauty because Libra is a Venus ruled sign. Venus is currently in Scorpio. So she's a little feistier than usual. She's like mm -hmm. Kim Kardashian at the Met Gala. <laughs> if you didn't see that. I'm sad to say that I think Kim Kardashian won the Met Gala because mm. she just came as essentially the Grim Reaper. Yeah. So was she just kind of saying that like American fashion was dead? I mean, I don't think, I was going to say I don't think she's smart enough to make a statement like that. But the thing is, is that actually Kim Kardashian is, I think, actually rather intelligent. Yeah. I mean, she's a lawyer. Right. Very Libra. <laughs> Justice, intelligence, beauty. Yeah. Maybe she's saying American fashion is dead. Who knows? Who can say? <laughs> Certainly not us. No. I wear a fleece and tie-dye sweatshorts most of the days. Because um, Angel always has the AC on in the house. It's always so cold. Well, not all the time. Oh, you mean like in the winter months? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it is a Libra season as brought to you by a Venus in Scorpio. But the difference is, is that Venus and Mars are in mutual reception right now. And this is part of the cosmic update because one thing you can do is you can look at the chart for the equinox, and that gives you a sense of what the energies are for the next couple months until we get to the solstice. So the sun is in Libra, which is what makes it the equinox because it clicks in. It's at zero degrees, zero minutes Libra, and answering to Venus, who's in Scorpio. But because Mars is in Libra, and Venus is in the Scorpio, they're in the sign of each other's power. And so they're able to kind of swap places. They're able to support in a way. And so that's a really nice element that we have for this chart for the next couple of months, is that Mars is able to take care of Venus in a sign that might be a little challenging for her, and Venus is able to take care of Mars in a sign that might be a little challenging for him. And if you just look at that, through a Libra lens, which is like, oh, here are two planets taking care of each other. They're partnering to make an easier go of something that would be so much harder alone. You might be able to interpret that in your own life, which is like, okay, where am I having a hard time and who could I reach out to that might actually thrive in this sort of situation or environment that can help me out? And I bet you'll be able to help them out in some way as well. Well, if we're even just looking at the chart for the equinox, right? Like 
that exact day moment. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because they kind of do need each other because Venus will be opposing Uranus at that time. Uh-huh. So if that's setting the stage for some degree. Yeah. Um, Chaos and liberation in relationships. I would imagine like liberation of each other's like unique authentic expression within the confines of the relationship totally like a pressure cooker yeah so you need to on some level expand the relationships expand the partnerships that you're in so that they make enough room for everyone's unique expression yeah because so if you've been in any sort of relationships or partnerships where you have really noticed that oh i do have to kind of dim this aspect of me or I'm always compromising. You're not going to be really able to escape the need to communicate about that. You know, which and, is and interesting. Work it out. Yeah, cuz Libra is traditionally kind of a sign of compromise. Mm-hmm. A sign of diplomacy. Yes. But there's something about this particular taste of Libra season that suggests ah, the way for real partnership is when both people can express themselves fully as opposed to diminishing in order for an easier go because that's actually inauthentic. Yeah, it's diplomacy, but not at like the sake of anyone's authenticity. Yeah, and needs. And I do feel like an additional component to all of this is the Mercury retrograde, which basically is all of Libra season, yeah. essentially. <laughs> but at least Mercury isn't retrograde in the chart. No, it is not. So, you know. Everything that has come up already, and really we've been in the shadow of it for a couple of weeks now. So already the the subjects and the and the themes of this retrograde have shown up for you in your life. The things you're going to have to go back over and redo, reconsider. Like the Met Gala, we're going to have to look at those <laughs> stupid outfits again. I hope not. Once was enough. No, but um, but actually the 27th is when you know Mercury stations to a retrograde. And is there until October 17th. And so within those three weeks, just know that, you know, it could be a time to actually think support some of these conversations that need to happen. You know, it's like, remember when I taught you to treat me this way? Well, actually, here's how I need to be treated or things of that nature, you know. Um, And this is going to be spanning between uh, 10 and 25 degrees uh, Libra. So um, just to know that anything you have in that area in your chart or aspect in that area will specifically show up for you for consideration. And I actually think the like October 9th and 10th, this is a little bit in the distance, but just to point out is interesting because the sun is going to be moving forward and Mercury is going to be moving essentially backwards. and so they make a conjunction, but it's like a retrograde conjunction right around that time. And the Sun and Mars are actually going to be dancing together for a bit. So they'll, so the Mars will also be in that equation. So you'll have this like Mars, Mercury retrograde and Sun conjunction around October 9th, 10th, which I just think is like interesting to like have this like s- strong forward motion movement meeting with this like, wait, hold up, wait a minute. Let's connect. I I actually think it's a really beautiful opportunity. It's like catch up. It's like, Mm. let's catch everyone up to where we need to be so that we can all move forward together. So circle those days on your calendar. 
Yeah, because right, ketchup, <laughs> ketchup, ketchup, mustard. Um, but yeah, I think it's uh, it's a very potent Libra season for sure. All right, well, I'm ready to sit or let everyone else sit in the space of our spirit talk. A hundred percent. So pour yourself a hot cup of tea, wrap yourself in your coziest throw, and get ready for a really beautiful conversation with Edgar, Fabian, Frias in this episode's Spirit, spirit Talk. talk. All right, Gazers, we are truly blessed because in the spirit room today, we have Edgar Fabian Frias, who we are so grateful to have with us here today. Edgar is a contemporary artist. Edgar is a psychotherapist, and they are a visionary. Um, And I was literally just saying before we started the recording here that the hardest thing we'll probably have to do here today is introduce them because they do so much. They're prolific. So I'm hoping, Edgar, would you tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for that introduction. And such an honor to be here on this podcast. So wonderful to connect with everyone here. And just want to say that I'm a, you know, multidisciplinary, multivalent, mutagenic being. I inhabit many spaces. I'm someone who's really worked hard at not limiting myself in terms of like where I exist and following my passions and following the voices and the guides that support me and moving in many directions. So I've, you know, done everything from having, you know, solo shows at museums to um, practicing psychotherapy, having my own practice and leading large events and also doing, of course, um, incredible content like podcasts and articles as well. So I'm a little bit of um, <laughs> of the queer webs all over the place. So, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're also a lot of bit inspiring for all of that, because um, I know just for myself, having followed you, um, I'm always just so impressed and amazed by everything that you do. And the fact that it does all feel so like passion fueled. And I think in this day and age where a lot of people feel like they need to sort of find their path, mm. you know, and are struggling to find their path. I love that you present an option of the path doesn't have to look so singular. Yeah. Yeah. And that's taken me a while to get there because I definitely grew up with that. You know, I grew up feeling like I needed to find a path and I felt challenged by the fact that I wanted more. <laughs> you know, I'm uh, my sun signs in Gemini. And I think I love knowing a little bit about everything and <laughs> kind of diving into everything, you know, kind of touching everything. And it definitely took a lot of therapy, a lot of my own personal healing growth to be okay with not knowing what my careers are going to look like and what it's going to be like. And I'm still in that midst. You know, I made a big decision this year to not work, to really fully focus on my art practice. And 
um, that really is like a big leap for me because I've, you know, found ways to kind of supplement my income. And I really have come to a place where I'm like, I really need to focus on my contemporary art practice and really get dive deep into it. And so again, I'm mutating again and becoming someone else again. And, you know, who knows what will happen after this year. But I think that's also giving myself that permission to say, you know, step into this and see where it goes. I want to ask you about that because you do identify as a mutant. And I want more explanation around that because it's very evocative. And I don't know that, like, beyond, like, the X-Men, I don't really know if I have an understanding. And I think it would be helpful for our listeners, but also just for me personally, because as an Aquarius son, I'm, like, very intrigued by that. And I'm like, am I a mutant too? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, thank you for asking about that. It's, you know, I... I feel like mutant for me is um, an egregore, if you know that word. Um, sure. You know, it's an uh, energy that I can place some of my energy into, and it is a way of living that allows me to really expand into my gifts, into my power, into my. Um, expansiveness, really believing beyond the limitations of reality. And mutagenic magic has really helped me transcend a lot of the limitations that I feel cis, heteropatriarchal, colonialist um, culture has tried to instill in me. Um, And so for me, a mutant is constantly evolving, is able to transcend binaries, is able to transcend, um, you know, any limitations and also invoke support. That's one one of my big mutant powers is that I'm connected to a global network of people and I'm able to tap into that web and things constantly happen and you know we can see them as synchronicities we can see them as guides or angels supporting and we can also see them as a mutant using their powers their abilities to create reality and that to me um, has been a story um, a reality that I've been investing in that has truly supported me in transcending so many um, woundings and limitations that I felt as a young person, you know, really feeling like I couldn't make any traction in the art world, that I needed to find a survival job. Like there were so many um, narratives that were instilled in me growing up that I feel like a mutant narrative has really allowed me to really um, integrate something different in my life. Like mind blown emoji <laughs> <laughs> is what I have to say to that. Yeah, but yeah. it also feels so entwined with just the idea of magic and witchcraft, even right? That that was that that also can be seen as something that maybe has like a not so positive connotation to it, but that you take it and utilize it as a power and as a gift, because ultimately there is this, similarly, there is this like strong community there and community energy that you get to tap into and contribute to also. But I'm curious, because you were mentioning, you know, being a young person and finding that, where did magic come into the equation of that, that sort of path for you too? Yeah, I think one of the reasons why recently I really started to connect and share around my own relationship with ancestors is that as a young person, I have had voices that have come to me at moments that have felt really potent and charged um, where I could have 
taken one of these limitations or one of these maybe even toxic views of the world and integrated them. And I've had these voices come to me and really kind of pull me aside, even in the moment, and give me another vision, give me another direction, allow me to see something different. And that, I think, was the beginning of a relationship with magic, was a beginning um of a relationship with my ancestors. And I feel like that's where I really believe that I've been led, I've been guided, because I, you know, before I even knew what a witch was, before I even understood um, my Indigenous ancestry, before I even knew I was queer, like, there were voices that came to me, there were like supports and guides that came to me. And that to me was like my first kind of accessing of magic. And I would also mention too that, you know, one of my first experiences of having an altered state was in front of a contemporary artwork. And and it was also the first time I had ever seen contemporary art, too. And to me, that was also one of those moments where, you know, I was really disoriented, I was really confused, and also I was, like, titillated and excited and knew that this was something I needed to pay attention to. And the same day that that happened, I, like, literally begged my mom when I got home to take me to the library to go look up books. I, I want to know what this art thing is, you know, and... Of course, you know, lo and behold, the moment I walk into the library, there's a book by Andy Warhol just like there. And, you know, that was like the beginning of my journey of looking into what contemporary art is. That's great because we want to explore with you this idea of of art as portal, art as power object, art as spiritual practice. And so I'm curious if you can just tell us a little bit more what you, what you mean when you say, like, I had this experience in front of this piece of art. Was it that you were moved? Were you taken somewhere? Did it speak to you? What was that encounter? I feel like portal is such a way, like a really powerful way of stating it because I saw an opening, you know, mm. there was something that happened and I, and it came through uh, the feeling of confusion. Like I had to move through the feeling of confusion first. And I think in some ways that's like what makes me as an artist be really excited about making work that um, can sometimes not be easy to digest or can cause disorientation. I know the power and the magic of disorientation and confusion. And so after that, like kind of feeling disoriented and confused, I, I literally remember feeling like I saw an opening. There was something that um, I could feel unfolding in front of me and my whole body was like tingling. Um, and I just remember being lost. Like I just felt really lost. And I think that's what also, you know, being a very studious child, I was like, I don't get this. I need to get it. And <laughs> right. I think that's also one of those moments where I was really being pushed by my ancestors. Like here, this is a direction. And I I think at that time, you know, I was also seeing it as something so outside and above me, something that I could never attain, but that I was excited about. And even, you know, um, it took me a while to actually take get the courage to decide when I got into college to actually focus on art practice, because I think, you know, many uh, people, especially if you grow up in certain communities, you're not encouraged to work in that way. And I think my family, even themselves, were really upset when they found out that I was, like, studying art practice. And so it it definitely, you know, felt like an impossible um, goal or an impossible thing that I had to almost hide for a while in my life. 
But it's beautiful that you really felt this connection to, it was almost like a pull, it sounds like. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> that you yes. cannot deny. Well, yeah. and it sounds like your awakening or your call to art is the same as your call to being connected with your ancestors and being connected to spirituality and magic, that it was all wrapped up in this encounter with this piece of art. Definitely. And I guess my question is, now knowing what that piece of art was and maybe knowing a little bit more about the artist and their intention, do you think it was something that they had put into that piece? Or do you think it was just that, I guess I'm asking like, is the intention we put into art that which is received by the viewer? Or when we create art, does it just open up something that then kind of shape shifts to meet whoever is encountering it. Yeah, I definitely believe it's a very recursive thing. I think there is the intention of the artist. Um, the artists who I saw, knowing a little bit more about them, um, I would say like now I'm almost like, I'm not going to mention who it is because I'm almost embarrassed. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I think it is that like opening of it possibility i think that to me is what art represents also is like pushing ag against these limitations expanding what is perceived as aesthetically valuable like these are all things that i find really exciting um is really people who are um disrupting hierarchies and i think this artist really disrupted hierarchies with their work and it's that recursive magic where you're kind of feeling the intention of someone and then it's tapping into the flow of another person and i'm also someone who really does you know believe that when we die like our energy gets released into the world and there are lineages, there are inheritances that we receive. And I think that's also connected to this too, is that even if maybe I don't agree with some of the politics or some of the ways that this artist lived their life, I definitely feel like I'm in a similar vein in terms of maybe some of the um, aesthetics or some of the um, elements and themes that we're both exploring in our work. And so I think there also are ways that we are kind of bound with each other across time and spaces artists too and that feels like it's relevant just even in more of a general conversation with ancestors right that we may not entirely be in alignment with every way that they lived their lives but there are aspects of them um, that we can call upon connect to you know lineage aspects of it definitely I'm feeling very Gemini in this conversation because I'm like, I want to talk, <laughs> keep talking about art, but I also really want to talk about ancestors. <laughs> but what's great about you is you can do both. Um, <laughs> but I do, I'm just so curious because I'm one who is also really trying to ground into my relationship with my ancestors and hearing you uh, continue to speak about it, just even in the context of art. Um, I feel like you can look back now and, and recognize the call, right? Recognize that like, oh, and that were, I think that was a point in time where my ancestors were speaking to me. Was there a moment in your, in your path where that became more distilled, more clear for you, where it was like, oh, this is an ancestor? <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's very much tied into art practice. Um, when I was in my last year and my undergraduate education, I studied abroad in England and for the first time really had people looking at my art as a Mexican artist. You know, I feel like growing up in Southern California, a lot of my art was seen as like, you know, made by people that live in Southern California, you know? Um, whereas, you know, living in England, uh, I constantly got questions about like, how does this connect to your culture? How does this connect to your ancestry? And it was a moment where I was really kind of sitting with that a lot because it kept being brought up. And I was, I remember felt annoyed by it and also felt like it was like a relevant thing that I needed to think about. And I also in that program was introduced to a very different way of learning because in America, um, I went to like, I was in the UC system. I went to UC Riverside in Southern California, very regimented, very um, loaded with a lot of work, lots of essays and readings. And when I got to England, really the first day of class, I like went to the teacher and was like, you haven't given us a selection of readings that we have to be working on. You haven't given us like an essay assignment for the future and she was like do you want that and I was like um no but what are we doing in this class you know and she literally was like just go out and get drunk and like go to galleries like go you know go find uh -huh. yourself and so that you know was another one of those like moments of disorientation moments of what does this mean like how am I supposed to learn and grow in this way and I followed her advice. I met a lot of like amazing queer anarchists. I started going to um, a lot of underground shows and started um, really just exploring music and a DIY culture. And in that process, I had a moment where I was woken up in the middle of the night and all I could hear were drums in my ears. And it was like four in the morning and I just woke up and I remember just like crawling to my desk and just writing the word shaman down. And just was like, it just kept coming to me like medicine person, shaman, like, and I like, it was the first time I had really, um, I had heard the words before, but it was the first time I had really just like almost been told like, hey, there's something here. And it was challenging at the time because I was like, I'm in an art program, like I'm learning, I want to be an artist, like what does this mean? Um, but it was one of those moments where I just knew I had to dedicate the rest of my time in the program to exploring shamanism, to exploring um, what it meant to be a medicine person. And this was, of course, before I knew of my own indigenous ancestry and of my own connection to medicine people from that um, lineage. And I know that it was my ancestors that were really pushing me in this direction. And I do feel like now, you know, being a multivalent person has really allowed me to inhabit that liminal intermediary space of a shaman and has also helped me envision and imagine ways of existing within capitalism that can allow you to, you know, be an intermediary being and... I'm so grateful to my ancestors for pushing me in this direction, even though it's taking me some time to understand how it's going to unfold. And I think that's part of why I've been really um, allowing myself to go in this direction is like I've really witnessed how it's guided, how there's um, an unfolding that's happening if I allow it to happen, you know.
So we can't generalize the ancestors because obviously there are hundreds of thousands of people connected to us through our bloodline that have come before us. But it does seem like there were those in your bloodline that were coming through very strongly to show you the similarities so that you could kind of call forth aspects of your own self that at that time were kind of latent or slumbering. But I'm curious about the other side of that coin a little bit, which is personally understanding that some of my ancestors might be rather (laughs) challenged by some of the ways in which I want to express myself and live my life and how to negotiate that relationship. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a really great question. And I think being as expansive as I am as a person, I'm very expansive with how I think of ancestors. Um, I see ancestors as being connected to us through our bloodlines, through our family lineages. And I also know that we're connected to each other spiritually, too, and that there are queer and trans and gender expansive ancestors who are also guiding us and supporting us that are, you know, understanding of who we are and how we exist in this world. And I definitely um, encourage people, if you're wanting to start to work with ancestors, to be discerning of who you're connecting to and to know that you're allowed to not connect with someone. You're allowed to not take the advice of an ancestor or to ask questions and um, also understanding that there is a lot of pain and a lot of wounding. And I love what was said earlier around how, you know, there can be an ancestor who has aspects of themselves that are hurt and then maybe there is is a part of them that's able to offer some love or some care, even if they, you know, have other parts of themselves that are still um, hurting. Oh, that's really beautiful, Edgar. So that in freeing yourself from some of those cycles, you actually free those ancestors too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because I'm very interested in my own ancestry and it's just like all Jew from like Eastern Europe, just like going back. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of, really cool, really beautiful mystical practices. And then there's also like just a really heavy ton of misogyny and a really heavy ton of really limited views on gender. Right. And, and I find myself in my journey struggling against some of that and also not wanting to be, what's the word? Um, Wanting to be holistic in the way that I embrace my ancestry and not just like picking and choosing that which is like convenient and sexy, but wanting to understand it all. But then I come up against these certain things and then I like I turn my back on my altar for weeks or months because I'm I feel so disconnected from that. And then I feel so isolated. And it's this really interesting dance. And I just bring that up because I know a lot of people have complicated relationships with their ancestry, especially in this moment, I think, as we're all realizing that we are responsible for some of the really bad deeds that were done by the people that came before us in some ways, or that, um, and I don't want to speak for Angel, um, but even just like the inner conflict that you experience sometimes between like having blood of both oppressor and oppressed. Right. One, I also feel like it does, whenever we talk about ancestors, generates a conversation around family, right? 
And there are a lot of people who aren't even just comfortable with their immediate family. So it becomes this like big barrier, right? Into like connection because there's this huge wall to jump over um, in regards to just that initial connection. And it's generating a question for me, but I want to make sure you don't have somewhere you, you want to go. No, I'm just stirring the I, soup here. I don't want to step on your question. No, I'm basically, but... I basically just feel like I'm in like ancestral therapy with Edgar right now. <laughs> totally. We all are. We all are. Um, but, uh, but it does make me wonder in your own experience, but also just from your understanding of people, like, how does one really begin? And I guess really, how did you begin that to establish that connection and explore to really understand that you had, you know, even just relationship or lineage with medicine people and things of that nature? Well, I feel like, you know, they established it with me first. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, they came to you in the night. <laughs> yeah, they came to me. They've come to me a lot in my life. So I do feel like there were moments where I learned more about my family ancestry and more about my lineages that has helped me understand the context of who some of these ancestors are. And at the same time, you know, I fully understand what you just said, Angel, around um, those barriers, you know, those barriers, that wall that you could feel. And I think that's one of the reasons why I'm really um, proselytizing for queer, trans and gender um, expansive folks to connect with their ancestors, because the last thing I want our communities to feel like is like they're alone because we're not alone. We have so much, so much love that's available to us from our ancestral realms. And one way that I've found to really move through this wall is imagination and creativity. I think we are allowed to imagine ancestors into existence. We are allowed to create who we need. And that to me has really transformed my practice is, you know, there is wounding and there is, there are ancestors that are challenging to work with and then also i have created and invoked ancestors who can really support me even in the process of connecting with other ancestors and this is definitely something that i want to really thank the afrofuturist movement the indigenous futurist movement because these are communities that have really found imagination and creativity as a way to heal a lot of the woundings the dislocations the Operations that have been caused by capitalism and colonization because there are many people who don't know who their family lineages are even. And so I am someone who really wants to posit that imagination is a magical tool, just like as I was talking about with being a mutant, you know, being a mutant has allowed me to create the life that I never thought I could have. And in the same way, I will know that imagining an ancestor allows you to create a connection. And that is something I can offer anyone at any place, no matter where they are with their family. And it's okay to only connect, I believe, with ancestors who want to support you, who want to share love with you. And yes, there is a lot of healing that needs to be done in terms of ancestral lines. And I do feel like even the imaginary ancestors can start to support us with that 
sort of work that we all need to do because there is so much hurt, so much wounding that is in our lineages. And I do feel like we can only do that if we're resourced and if we have connection. And it is really hard to do that when we feel alone and when we feel like we don't have any support. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> you got me crying over here, Edgar. <laughs> <laughs> It's supposed to be the other way around. In <laughs> but thank you so much for that. Just, I think, inviting everyone into moving beyond even just, yeah, what may feel like a limited reality for them in regards to that connection. I think that's so powerful because we can't get stuck there. And then that is what generates all that loneliness, right? Right, right. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, validating that that pain is real too, right? Validating that, you know, it is hard to be rejected by your family, to have most of your... I I fully relate to that. I think that's why I also really encourage uh, that imagination in people because I've also... Um, you know, I'm also someone who has both the lineages of indigenous communities in Mexico and also of people who came from Europe, too, to colonize. And I'm also someone who has um, a lot of wounding in their family lineages. And um, I know also that I have a sacred connection to spiritual queer and trans beings and mutant beings that have also provided me so much support to help me with that so that I don't feel like I'm in a place of isolation. Because I do feel like that was one of my biggest woundings as a young person was feeling so alone, feeling like the freak. And I think that's another another reason why I love the word mutant, because it also invokes the freak, it invokes the other. And it and I say it in a way of so much love, of saying, like, I love the other, I love the freak, and I'm also wanting to be a spiritual support system for those people. Yeah, I think it is so important to claim those. It reminds me of this. I remember we were holding space for a group, and the word weird came up, and we were discussing it. And I was using it to describe myself in, like, an empowered way. And I remember someone in the space being really triggered by that and like, you shouldn't use that because it, and I, you know, I think we were able to have like a graceful conversation around it. Um, and I understood where they were coming from and, right. but I, it was also coming from a place of having confronted the pain around that from my past. And, you know, in the way a lot of us now use even just the word queer, right which is so interesting to me. I don't know about you all, but like, it's been a real, it's been interesting moving into very, you know, cis heterocentric spaces and have that word used toward me from them. I'm still getting comfortable <laughs> with, with, with people outside the queer community being like, Oh, yes. And you being a queer person, I'm like, <laughs> or I don't know if you've ever had this, like having a cis straight person tell you, like, don't call yourself queer. Oh, that's yeah. really bad. You know, <laughs> it's like I'm queer as the day is long, honey. <laughs> and then some. <laughs> but thank you for your kindness. Yes. <laughs> but that's it, too, even with that weird connotation. And so I love that this whole process of finding even new words for yourself or words that we might not have, that haven't really been a part of like um, popular culture, whatever that is, I say that in quotes, um, and, and, and claiming them, 
you know and and this uh just even just yeah the i i keep going back to the use of this word mutant um i'm curious too just as you've continued to move out have you found other people who have been taking that on for themselves and really resonating with that definitely uh i've definitely found other people who resonate with the word or who've kind of created their own version of the word um yeah, and I think that's something that I've learned as both a witch and also as an artist is that um, one of the ways that, you know, different systems have really tried to disempower people is by limiting our imagination and also by devaluing our imag imagination and seeing it as something that, quote unquote, only children do or something that isn't real. And I feel like the more I've learned about my own psychic abilities, I've learned and realized that the imaginal realm is a portal into the psychic realm, into the etheric spiritual realm. And so that's why I really, really value imagination as a tool, as a sacred tool that we could really work with. And I really encourage people to work with their imagination as magic, because it is magic. Yeah, I've heard you speak about this, and I never heard this before, imagination shaming or imagination shame. And just hearing that phrase made me kind of wake up to ways in which I've devalued my own imaginal power. And I'm wondering how you might encourage or support people who are looking to release themselves from, from shame around imagination. Hmm. That's such a good question. Yeah, I think what, for myself, it's been really powerful to be in community. And of course, this looks different now being in the time that we're in. But I've definitely found groups of people like, for example, in Los Angeles, the Golden Dome School has been a really powerful communal resource of people who really value imagination and support it within each other. And um, I think building that community of people that really value what it means to imagine and who um, that can be really helpful. And also as a, as an individual practice, I feel like allowing myself to make artwork that I don't know what it is or how it's going to be or how it's going to look is also part of that imaginal magic is really letting another part of myself kind of move into an oracular space and i think being an oracle is definitely imag imagination magic too um letting yourself be a channel is imagination magic uh, so if you have any practices like that that feel like enlivening for you really letting yourself go into places where you might you know start to notice that shame come up and Really working to, you know, give that shame some peace and comfort, knowing that what you're doing is safe, what you're doing is allowed, you know, what you're doing is a part of play, right, is a part of being human. Um, those are things that have really helped me... Um, step into it more. And also, you know, going to name that I'm in an MFA program right now. And, you know, I feel like 
a lot of what we do is talk about theory and politics and, you know, really concrete things. And I feel like one thing I have mentioned to people in the program is I wish we had more imaginal space. I wish we had more moments of, you know, being guided into meditation or being guided into a place where we can contact some of these visions, you know, that are wanting to come through. And I also understand why, like, I'm in an institution, right? Like, they're <laughs> not set up for that kind of work. And I think that's why it is so important for artists to find or create, forge those kinds of spaces for themselves where they can be with other people who respect, honor, and cherish their imaginations. I wish that for everybody to find spaces that support and reflect the value of imagination. Because, well, it's an interesting paradox, because on one hand, we do value imagination, but it's through like the lens of capitalism, right? Like we value the storytellers that have the imagination to create works that appeal to a broad audience that then generate a lot of money, you know? So we're like Lord of the Rings, you know what I mean? Like, or, you know, things of that nature. But then the weird, the confronting, the confusing imagination, or even just think about like being told like, oh, well, be realistic, you know, or like... <laughs> Stop daydreaming or you're making that up. And there's that really interesting paradox that we live in. And I think just hearing somebody say like, your imagination has value just for the sheer sake of your imagination. And you don't know what is on the other side of, of going through that imaginal portal is really, is really valuable. Yeah, I, you know, I've, I've experienced it directly. And I can share a story that I feel really connects with this is, you know, when I first found out from my father about our indigenous ancestry, I started doing a lot of um, divinatory work working with water and with obsidian and started doing a lot of scrying work. Um, and scrying is very much, you know, it's an imaginative exercise. It's a meditative exercise. It's also a sacred form of communing too with spirits. And I would say in those sessions that I had, I received many messages and, you know, I have kind of stopped in a way, like trying to decide what is a message from an ancestor, what's my imagination, like who cares, you know? Um, I really have been given visions of art pro projects, of performances, of rituals. And many times when I receive those visions, I have no idea how they're going to come into fruition. And then three months later, I'm receiving a message from a curator that's like, I had a vision of you doing this thing. And who's to say if that came from my imagination, it came from their consciousness, it came from an ancestor. I think... I think that's why I'm really excited about these kinds of practices that allow you to open up uh, an, another realm, another space, and it can literally manifest into consciousness, into physical dimensions. And I think that to me is what's really exciting about it and why I know if from my own lived experience that imagination is a portal. It is a way of opening up potential. And, you know, being a mutant, people pick up on that, you know, people feel that it moves systems, it moves communities. And 
I have been told millions of times in my life that I'm not going to be an artist, that I'm going to fail as an artist, that I'm not going to make money, that I'm going to suffer because I'm choosing this path. I've been told over and over and over again, and it's only been my imagination and my desire that's kept me going too, you know, and that's really allowed me to actually make a space for myself where historically I have not been allowed. You know, people like me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, honestly, something I wanted to bring to you, Edgar, is an exploration of fear. Because from the outside, looking at you and your work and this constant expansion in many different directions, it seems like there's not a lot of fear there, which I, which I know can't be true. There must be fear at some point in the journey, but you're somebody who is overcoming it quite magnificently. And I'm curious what you might be able to offer to other people who feel so much fear around their own expansion, who know that they are feeling small, but they don't know how to move beyond that. Yeah, I would offer that fear is a guide. Fear is here to support you and to notice when fear comes to you mixed with excitement. Mm. And that's how I've moved towards that fear in my life is I've noticed, you know, even I'm now, I haven't had alcohol now for about eight years. And one of the first kind of ways that I feel like I got myself out of drinking alcohol was I asked myself very directly, what do I like about alcohol? And I knew that what I liked was that feeling of exhilaration that I used to get when I was drunk of like, everything's possible. I can do whatever I want. And then I started to ask myself, what would give you that in your life if you actually could get that from other things? And I immediately got filled with fear because I knew it was all the things I wanted, which was being more of a public person, doing more performance work, working with curators, working with museums, all the stuff that I never thought I could do, that I was told my whole life I couldn't do. And that was also really, of course, scary to move towards and to actually seriously consider it as a way of living, as a way of supporting myself. And so I feel like I've had so much success because I haven't been drinking and I've been looking for these highs <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> through these other ways, right, that are really scary that are pushing me to move into realms where, of course, I have imposter syndrome. Of course, I have these parts of me that still feel like I don't belong in these spaces. I make artwork that many times looks glitchy and broken, is weird, hard to interpret, confusing. I trigger some of my classmates. You know, it's like there's there are ways that my art shouldn't exist in museums. And yet I know that it's what I want is what I also fear. It's what um, I continue to move towards. And, you know, now I have even bigger dreams and visions that are scary and activating. And so I would really give that to people. It's like if you notice that fear, of course, there's real fear that you should stay away from stuff. Yes. And then there's fear that comes to you with a desire, with an excitement and then and that is the fear that you start to move towards. And that is alchemical magic right there. Ooh. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Amazing. I love that because it is so, there. that's so valuable to consider the fear plus excitement equation. Um, and it can, it can come with things that may, um, on the surface, you may not even recognize that that's even a, an emotion underneath it. You know, thinking about something like, 
not drinking, for example, you know, like that there would be any excitement attached to that, I think is like really cool and interesting. Um, well, and I, it's nice to hear too, that part of that for you was being more of a public person and getting a chance to do that. And, and this make, makes me want to talk about social media a bit, because I think that is a space where fear can show up. I think a lot of imagination does maybe get a little squelched because of shame that could come up around presenting yourself or putting yourself out there. Um, and you have such a, such a strong, it's se seemingly strong relationship with social media and putting yourself out there and really using it for yourself as a portal for others to connect. Uh, you know, you uh, create spells <laughs> on your Instagram. Um, has social media been a positive tool for you in moving forward in some of these desires to be more public? Has it, has it been a tool and, and has it come with any fear or shame? Yeah, I think um, people might find it hard to perceive, but I'm someone who's for a lot of my life has been pretty private and has been pretty um, afraid of being public and being seen in front of people. And I think that that's um, in some ways why I've really pushed myself to move beyond that. And um, social media has been a powerful platform to allow me to do that. I think one thing that I both hate and also love about social media is that there have been times where I'll like post something that I'm like really excited about and I've been working on for so long and no one gives a fuck about it. And then <laughs> I post something that I think is really stupid that I made in five seconds that like, you know, I'm like, no one's going to care about this. And I it's like 10,000 views or whatever. And like, I, that has helped me, but also of course annoyed me too. But like, <laughs> <laughs> but it's really helped me to, to realize that there are ways that p other parts of me that want to communicate, maybe that aren't so like serious or rigid or, or such a workaholic, you know, ways that like can be really easy and relaxed, can be really successful. And that has helped me. Um, and also, of course, I would say that, um, being public comes with a lot, right? It comes with, um, there are people who get triggered by who I am or who get upset by my presence on the internet or by how much support I get. And I get hate messages, you know, and even right now, yeah, a couple of days ago, I installed a billboard in um, San Francisco at a space called Southern Exposure. And this is a billboard that I created in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And um, it was up for like about a month. And then I was um, put on television, they interviewed me to talk about the billboard. And then a couple of days later, it got defaced. And I like haven't really shared this publicly yet that it was defaced. But now I'm like very public having this defaced billboard in an art exhibition and and part of that you know in speaking with the curator was talking about like how the mediums of choices that artists have you know mine being digital physical public uh, that it affects us as people that it um shapes us as people and that was one of the kind of that's one of the themes of the exhibition is one of the reasons why i'm including this work is really stating that being public has both really helped me really connect with so many people and also live the life that i want to live and it's also come with you know persecution and hatred and anger and you know i I understand that now as just being part of it. You know, I see many other people who are, you know, big and get lots of support also receive hate messages too. It's just, it's part of, 
you know, meeting the world, you know? <laughs> yeah. And meeting, I don't want to perceive to judge or, or understand where any of one's motivations come from, but it does feel like it's all really, you know, steeped in fear. Yeah. You know, definitely. Um, but well, first off, I'm sorry to hear that you had to even just like experience that because that can't be a, a, an enjoyable time by any means. But like, good on you to like take it and <laughs> install it into an art exhibition. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, and I'm actually I'm going to be doing a performance ritual as a part of it as a way to cleanse and to also offer something to the people who trolled my artwork you know i think i want to yes. i'm going to make an offering um and also offering it to the ancestors of the billboard because it was my um, first billboard that i created for my indigenous ancestors and i want to honor it for what it is you know and also not be ashamed by it because i think that's like the goal sometimes of people who come to you with that fear is they want you to be silent they want you to not mm -hmm. feel like you can show yourself and so it's also a place of me reclaiming that and saying i get to show this even with the defacement too at some point i want to just hear what the what the magical workings of that have been because that's really evocative and really brave to transmute someone's attempt at shame and silencing and to like eat that and turn that into mutant fuel for just like <laughs> being bigger and badder and more out there. You know, that's really, that's some bad. Thank you for saying that. Good. You're actually helping me with one of the performative elements that I've been wondering how to translate. And I feel like eating has just really helped me. I'm like, yes, eating. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> totally. Well, it's like, yeah. yeah. Just like eating it and making it into fuel. Oh my gosh, we could chat with you forever, <laughs> but I feel like there's so much here and it's so beautiful. I'm just curious, what's your moon sign? Because you talk about being a Gemini a lot, but I'm curious the other aspects. Yeah, uh, my moon is in Scorpio. Yes, of course. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, and my ascendant sign is uh, Virgo. Oh, okay. Yeah. Beautiful. I guess I would just like to end by asking you especially because we've been talking about imagination if there was any advice you feel that a future self version of you would offer you at this time what do you think that would be <laughs> I like immediately received the words, um, don't work so hard, let yourself rest, let yourself be okay with what you present. And your presence and your voice are huge, huge gifts. Anything else is extra. Well, your future self version just stole the words out of my mouth. <laughs> I was going to say all of those things to you. Well, they may be wanting to speak to me too, you know? <laughs> oh. Seriously, everything you present to the world is so valuable. And um, we're just so grateful that you uh, made the time to share space with us and 
share all of your amazing magic with us and our community. Yeah, thank you for blessing us with this conversation, Edgar. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for having me, Angel and Brandon. It's just been such a gift to be able to connect with you both in this way. And uh, I really hope that this is the first of many conversations we continue to have. Tell the children where they can find you, Edgar. Yes. Uh, so I have a website, edgarfabianfrias.org. I also have a mailing list that you could access through that website. And I'm also on Instagram, I'm on Twitter, on YouTube, and now very recently on TikTok as well. All right. Well, you'll have to tell yeah, us how to do that. To inspire because that's, us. <laughs> that's, that's, out, that's above our pay grade at this moment. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and you have so many amazing offerings for everyone. So I highly recommend everyone just go and discover Edgar's work if you have not yet. And if you have, there's probably more that you have not <laughs> tapped into. And you're, I feel like, always consistently offering new projects. And even Definitely. as of this recording, have an amazing uh queer trans and gender variant ancestors project that is um, coming out through your youtube channel that has been really wonderful so highly recommend definitely yeah thank you for naming that and also if you're interested in ancestral work i am offering right now a downloadable workshop that you could take with me um, across time and space on um, and that it is available for anyone uh, no one turned away for lack of funds it is donation based and you could find that both on my website um, and also by clicking the link that's on my bio on instagram amazing okay Excellent. well thank you thank you so much edgar I love Edgar so much. Yeah, they're amazing. They are so amazing. What an amazing opportunity to get to chat with them. Thank you, Edgar. Thanks, Edgar. Hope you all enjoyed it. All right, let's do our tarot card of the week. So just take a moment, tarot card of the episode. Just let yourself tune into the cards. Connecting to them by just listening into the sound of them being shuffled. And just trusting that this message will resonate no matter the future place or time to which you listen to this episode. Just asking for one card to help us wherever we're at to get wherever we're going. And that card is the magic card. Whoa. So this is a bonus card. This is the 79th card in this Oliver Hibbert tarot deck that I pretty much can only use like I can't use any other decks at this moment in my life and the magic card is this gorgeous image it's these disembodied hands holding a crystal ball and inside the crystal ball is this woman seated lotus and she's got a floating star and moon above each hand and the infinity symbol is above the crystal ball and there's a keyhole underneath and basically all it's saying is that there is a force there is a divine intelligence there is some sort of principle of order a flow, if you will. We can think about the Tao. And if you can give over to this flow, if you can give over to magic, if you can give over to some sort of organizing principle for the universe, things tend to go a little bit more easily. So I would just encourage everyone to number, I would just encourage everyone to A, find the flow. And when you're in flow, notice it. And when you're not in flow, notice it. Because magic tends to happen when you're open and when you are going along with the order of all things. But also double down on your own ability to believe and conjure up some magic. And don't limit yourself based on what you think is possible. 
I think this is such a great card, actually, that reflects back the conversation we had with Edgar because they were talking about being an expansive being and expanding beyond all of these identities or labels or, in quotation marks, possibilities that have been given to us. We are impossible beings that can do impossible things. And I think magic can help us remember that whenever we start to feel small or stuck or a little too practical. Awesome. It's good advice for everyone right now. Girl, I'm going to take it. <laughs> all right. Thank you all for being here. We love as you. Always. And we appreciate you tuning in. You can always find out everything that we have going on in the spiritual gaze world at thespiritualgaze.com. Uh, you can find out uh, all the information on our upcoming courses at the Spirit School tab or our webinars in the webinar section. Or if you want to work with us directly in the healings and readings section. Otherwise, follow us on Instagram at the Spiritual Gaze or Twitter at Spiritual Gaze. And we just look forward to having you in our orbit. Thanks for being here, babies. Thank you. Until next time, this has been your transit through the, the spiritual game.